Hello and welcome to another episode of The Comedian's Paradise. Now this is the podcast where we speak to tantalising, scintillating and definitely larger than life characters. Some of the people are going to be very questionable and very intriguing. Some of them are going to have stories that are going to make us jump out of our seat and say, what the fuck happened here? And some of them are going to be very informative. But at the end of the day, the main aim of this podcast is to help comedians like you and me live life on our own terms rather than do shitty open mics for someone that doesn't pay us. <laughs> now, if you like this podcast, share it with your friends, subscribe, and give us a five-star review on Amazon or iTunes. Now, today's Vavavum awesome guest, real knockout guest, is Mark O'Keefe. He's a comedian from Ireland who's traversed the world in America, the UK. He found love in Edinburgh. He runs a podcast called the American Irish Podcast. Is that right? Yeah, close enough. It's uh, This American Irish Life. The Amer- this American Irish Life. And he's got so many stories to tell, so many lessons to say, and he's going to be an absolutely awesome guest. Please welcome the hilarious Mark O'Keefe. Thank you. <laughs> what it's did you beer. think? Yeah, no, that's, that's a great intro. I mean, you you picked some good words, scintillating. I like that. I don't even know what it means, but that's a good word. It means like feeling excited and engaged or something, like something intri- interesting. Oh my God, I'm, I am touched that I am a scintillating person. I shall be saying that on the street. <laughs> I should work that into my act somehow, scintillating. Beautiful. Yes, say that. <laughs> and yo, I'm I'm scintillating fam. <laughs> oh, <laughs> fam, I love it. <laughs> and so you you started your comedy journey in Ireland, is that right? Yes, um, I started doing stand up in the I think. Wait, let me get the the, the date. It was the twenty sixth of June, two thousand and fourteen. So that's actually now that I think of it, it's quite a long time ago. Do you remember? I don't know if you know you you know the competition. Um, so you think you're funny? Yeah. Yeah, the one that's like it ends up in Edinburgh. So I entered that because I just thought I was. I guess I thought I was funny, you know. And I entered it, and uh, I didn't hear anything from them for months. And then some guy randomly hit me up on Facebook, and he said, "You're booked." This certain date, and he was like, "Do you want it?" I mean, you know, you, you you know, like that to do stand up, you need to actually understand like the very basic concepts of having jokes, remembering them, and doing them. Hmm. And I was like, I thought that no, you just have to be funny, you know. And I'm like, yeah, I'll do it. And then I I the gig was booked in. I didn't tell anyone. I was I told like I told my best friend, and he was gonna come and support me. And it was probably a few months up the line. So my plan was, I'm going to get the bus from Cork to Dublin because uh, the heat's run in Dublin. And I'm just going to like have a few beers on the bus. And like, it's, it's strange because the heat's run during the day. I had never been to a comedy show before. I had never been inside a room where stand-up was going on. I mean, the only thing I knew about stand-up was probably whatever I heard on the fucking Joe Rogan podcast. You know, and, like, I had no idea of... Oh, maybe I've, I've seen, like, you know, I've seen stand up on TV, like Tommy Tiernan and stuff. Okay. So, 
so I, I know I, I got on the bus. Uh, I had like cans of beer. Like I, anytime I was going from Cork to Dublin, it's like a two and a half, three hour bus. And I was like, we, me and my mates, we always drink. I don't think I've ever been in Dublin sober like prior to this. Anytime I've got to Dublin, I've already been drunk. And uh, it was that one friend that came with me because I was like, I'm not bringing more than, you know, like for, no, it's a risk assessment. You bring one person who knows you well. And if you fail, you know, they're going to be, it's just them. I mean, they're going to tell other people, but, you know, you, you, just, you don't want to be, you know, yeah. too embarrassed. So I got there and uh, I, I, was, I was pretty drunk. I was pretty drunk at this stage. And uh, I mean, I, I, it was in the Haypenny. Are you familiar with Dublin? Yeah, I, I did the comedy scene there for, I did a couple of gigs. I was there for about a week in a hostel and I did the Halfpenny Bridge gig and yeah, I did yeah, the, the comedy cellar equivalent in Dublin. Yeah, so you're, you're familiar with the room. If you remember, the, the Haypenny is upstairs on yeah. the bar. The bar is on the Liffey. It's like an it's, it's just an overpriced tourist trap. That's what that is. Yeah. But it's, it's a, I've done a lot of gigs there since. But that was, my first, um, that was my first foray into comedy. And the room was packed, you know. And I, I was drinking, but also I was like still super nervous. So I also had donors, you know, like fucking my mom's anti-anxiety pills. So I took some of them as well. Thinking for some reason, when I get up there, it will all just work itself out. You know, I'll just be like, I guess the idea is like when you're at, you know, at a house party and you're a bit like, you know, I don't know, you're, you're socially turned on and you're being funny. I, I was like, stand up is only making noise with your mouth to be funny. And uh, so the room was pretty busy. It was during the day, which is like rare for stand up, but I didn't know that at the time because it's my first time doing stand up. But like, it was it's so it's like the Dublin heats of this Irish UK comedy competition, and when they caught like I watched the other people go on stage and I was like, they seemed to be doing something. I didn't quite understand, but I was laughing at some of them. Some of them were awful, as you imagine, and then they called my name, and uh, even getting up off the seat <laughs> to go to the stage, I was so fucked up. You know, like my legs were heavy. Everything was in slow motion. And I got up there and all I remember is everyone. Some people laughed, you know, because people are nice. But most people looked perplexed, <laughs> you know, because I don't think I don't think I, I didn't know how to use a microphone. Um, I mean, I have an accent as it is. And I know that's Ireland, but I have, I have a Cork accent. It's Dublin. As someone who's inebriated with an accent you know, I I could have been from anywhere, and uh, I, I I did something. I said I said a lot of probably just horrendous jokes that made no sense, and afterwards I felt like for for absolutely no reason I felt like so confident and cocky that I I'll just keep on doing this. I I knew I was never going to get through to the next heat, obviously, but like I got I got I got the endorphin rush, and then like. I ended up going to like um, a concert straight after, like uh, Arcade Fire were playing in Marley Park, a, a band I never heard of before, you know, because I was I, I just don't know what's going on, and uh, they were really good, and like that's really like imprinted in my mind every time I hear Arcade Fire is like, oh, that was the first time I done stand up, and from then on I just I, I kind of just started doing gigs, I, in Ireland, as someone who's completely new to stand up, you're not getting any gigs, you know, that's like as in you you have you have to go to gigs, introduce yourself, 
and familiar yourself with some people that will help you. But uh, I mean, I, I wasn't going to do that. And I just ra- like a few months later, I, uh, I moved to Canada and that's when I really started doing stand up in Vancouver because there was an open mic scene there. And from there on, you don't need to really make friends. You can just kind of show up, sign up, go up. And that was it. That was from there on. So I guess I, the first time I tried stand-up is um, 2014, the summer. But when I actually started doing stand-up regularly was sometime early 2015. And from then on, it's just been, you know, yeah, it's just been like uh, fun and also awful and like just the best and the worst, as you know yourself, you know, stand-up. Hmm. So, well, so tell me a bit about like how does the Irish scene generally work? You said you got you basically said it like right. You have to chat people up in Ireland and and sleep with them. That's what you said. Yeah, no, you have to you have to <laughs> ser- you have to serenade them a bit. Yeah, um, <laughs> I don't it's know. like it's like any place where there's kind of more comedians and there is stage time. It's very hard to like get that stage time. I think I did, yeah. I, so at that time, before going to Canada, I might have done one or two mu- music open mics, like in Cork, like a mu- like doing a music open mic as someone who's barely done stand up. Is <laughs> I'm just I'm, I'm I'm actually getting a horrible feeling in my stomach, just like kind of like remembering how awful those were. But I I knew you had to get up. I I was figuring out pretty much you can't just do it once and then you know even you can't get better at it by doing it a few times you have, you have to like constantly do it so um no the scene in ireland is like uh, since since then i have like you know integrated with the scene in ireland but it wasn't until i had done like canada uh, new zealand and australia and then when i got back you can just show up at an open mic and be you know you know how to do jokes and then you you can get booked it's very hard like to get in at, at any, in stand up without um like as a new person cuz you're going to bomb and when you bomb no one really wants to hear from you anymore you know how it is it's i mean yeah yeah i mean it it's i mean yeah i mean especially in certain clubs i mean if they see you bomb i think it's very hard for you to yeah. regain their trust to say no i'm not dog shit yeah, that's what you need. You need open mics. You need you need like um just no does no like no one cares. You know that's what you need. You need actually people that really do not care that you're doing jokes, and when you can make them laugh, then that's like, that's probably a good joke. And that's why that's why like Vancouver, you know, like Vancouver, uh, British Columbia, they have like quite a good scene there, and there's a lot of places to just go up. Uh, you can, I think I used to go up like maybe five four five six nights a week depending and from then on like from then i went to australia to melbourne which you can get you could get up seven nights a week in between there i was in wellington new zealand but that was like that was that was like that was like ireland almost like i i would say i would say like worst standard almost i mean they're funny people but it's just that particular city just did not have a, a a good scene for the size of the city. I, I was doing pretty well over there. I was getting booked and stuff, but there was just not enough shows. But um, when I got back to Ireland after all that, I would have been able to do five minutes, which I think now, 
like you know that was a decent five minutes but like if i was to listen to it again at this stage after corona i'd be like that's absolute dog shit you know yeah i think you should i think we all should look look like that every time we do stand up like we look at a set we've done before and we say oh that shit yeah yeah i know it's, it's i mean i don't know how i'm gonna do I, I, do you talk about it or do you not you know i mean i don't know i feel like you have to like kind of say something well i spoke to a new i spoke to um sean eli and he's a comedy booker in in new york he's the biggest he runs the ivy league comedy clubs and he says that what was i saying again what were we talking about again? We were saying something. Saying that should you mention uh, the oh, pandemic? Oh yeah, yeah. He's saying people should forget. People want to forget about their what's going on, and they just yeah. want to laugh. So he, he said not to. But yeah. I mean, whatever works for you. If you can really make Corona funny, then good for you. I suppose. I mean, it's like how many how many mask jokes or lockdown jokes? I mean, they all seem hack at this stage, you know. There's obviously going to be a good one. I'm probably going to do one, to be honest. I'm going to do a mask joke. What can you do? You know? Mm. I'm going you to have always to end up like Jim Carrey. What? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he really went off the deep end. Big fan, though. I'm a big fan. Oh, that's a great film, isn't it? The Mask. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. But, um, yeah, so I, I guess... I don't know if it's the same here. I don't, I'm not really familiar with the scene here. I mean, I am. I mean, I've done gigs in London... Uh, four years ago and then a year ago and you know like, i've been like anytime i came back from canada or australia or wherever i was i'd fly into london and i'd try and do some open mics and I, yeah and i've done quite a bit but like since i've been here it's been locked down in between i've done bits and pieces but i don't really i'm not really familiar with the scene here so which would you say shape you more canada or australia and like tell us about your experiences those scenes and how did they shape you as a comedian uh, yeah, no, Canada is where I like learned how to just speak into a microphone, which I'm still, you know, I'm still trying to get good at. But yeah, it, they're, you know, because they're nice there, you know. So like they're, they're like, especially if you're if you're foreign, they're quite, they have a mentality, yeah. they have a mentality to be really nice to foreigners because they're really scared of like appearing any bit prejudiced. This is Vancouver, BC. So if you can think of like the most liberal place in North America is, you know, the Pacific Northwest. And it's like Vancouver is that, you know, place. And it's a, gr it's a great scene there. It's, there's a, um, there was a lot of open weeks. It was like show up and go ups where you sign up on the night. You don't need to email anyone. You don't need to ask for spots. You don't need to talk to anyone. That was the best because that way you could, there was no anxiety about doing it besides the getting on stage part. You didn't have to go and, you know, talk to people. And they had, like, they had good crowds. They, they would get people in. People were interested. And there was enough stand-up during the week after work to, like, get, to get you, to get you, like, kind of... I mean, you started, like, you, you need to, like, just do bad. What actually happens is you need to do pretty bad, but in your head, it seems great, you know, because, like, you, you hear some laughter... And that, I mean, because comedy is all based on delusion, isn't it? I mean, it's like uh, in your first few years. I mean, I'm still in my first few years. I'm probably six, five, six years in. Did, did you? I feel as the years go on, you hear less and less less laughter, 
And I don't know if that's just a pessimistic view on aging and life, or is that that you're actually tuning in more to your audience and how much you have to like, you know, build your material more, you know, more funny. So what do you, you mean you're less impressed by the stuff you used to do? Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh my God. It's disgusting to try and think of what I used to do. And to be honest, in that whole time, I feel like I still have the same jokes, like one or two of them, you know, that <laughs> one of the two ones I'm like, Oh, I'm going to, I'm going to hold on to this for six years until I want to kill myself. But like to get back to your question. Yeah. Definitely Canada was a good place to start, and it's probably where I learned how to do it and where I learned what a setup, what a punchline was, what a callback was, you know, all the basics. So, what's the structure of the Canada scene? Because they got a different, they got, they got Hamilton, they got Vancouver, you said they got Montreal, and they got Toronto. But what's the whole structure? I hear that the biggest club is Yuck Yucks, yeah. and you've got Absolute. Yeah. They have, um, yeah, they have their national chain is Yuck Yucks, which they hire comedians on. And then I would, t- I would, I would be friends with some of the comedians that were hired by Yuck Yucks, and they tell you about their paychecks, and it's, it's like, it's worse than minimum wage. Huh? Just, just the, the war, like the, it was so bad. I like, think you're, you're not a professional comic, really, when you're working for them. It looked like more like you were just surviving. You know, it's, it was such bad money. I think there's like 200, 200 bucks for a gig. If you can imagine geographically how Canada is and how and the population there, there's no real, like there's an industry there that's very, you know, everyone knows everyone throughout the whole country. And um, there's pretty much, I mean, in terms of amateur comedy or what you want to call it, non-paid comedy, it's a really high standard. But in terms of like professional comedy, most people can't survive on it because it, it, it's the it's the gas money between these shows. You know, it's 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 unaffordable. The country's too big and the population's too small for it to actually sustain any sort of um, viable industry for a lot of comics. So really, throughout the whole country, I reckon there's like maybe twenty professional stand-ups, thirty professional stand-ups that actually make a living all year round, not including promoters or. Um, club owners then everyone else from canada as you can imagine is in the u.s and if you look in london or manchester there's always a lot of canadians in there yeah and they're always bloody good as well they're they're (laughs) good because they have open mics so like it is it's like the north american way of doing comedy is a lot of open mics it's like repet like it's repetitiveness so you learn the beats of your joke and you can go up a lot more. I mean, in Canada, you could still go up a lot. Uh, without being booked, you could go up five or six times a week in Vancouver. I imagine in Toronto, it was more like 10 to 15. So you can get good, but you're not getting paid, basically. It's a bit like, um, no, but what you said there is a bit like New York as well and LA. They're, they're, they're also very exploitive. Yeah, I mean, I think to begin with, it's not really exploitive, though. Like, uh, it's more like you're learning the craft. And then w- what's good about going somewhere like that is, I mean, if someone spends like, you know, five years in in Vancouver and then they come to the UK, they're going to be better than a lot of the open micers in London because they're going to have a lot more stage time done, you know. But they're not going to be like, you know, it, it changes as 
you know, comedy isn't like the, all these echelons. But like the open mic scene in North America, they're going to they're gonna have more, they're going to have jokes that work always because they're constantly, in the big cities, I mean, like New York, LA, and then, I mean, Canada, Chicago. Chicago, exactly, yeah. Places where there's big open mic scenes. And I think, I don't think it's, that doesn't really exist in Ireland and the UK. It does, it does in Australia. It's the same thing. They have a, they have open mic scene in Melbourne anyway. Well, in London, they did have a big scene, but I mean, since you've come in, like a lot of the gigs have been, it's your fault, Mark. Since you come in, <laughs> a lot of the gigs have closed down. No, because yeah. of COVID. Well, they have, they, they have a lot of, they have a lot of like, you have to have everything booked months in advance, isn't it? You have to have your calendar filled. Yeah. Whilst in, I think, in places, like, well, my missus is from New York, and I, 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 since I, I was, I spent like two and a half years, three years in Vancouver, you didn't have to have to have anything booked. You could just keep on doing open mics. And then you, you kind of, you feel, how you, it's a good way to build the material. Being on a paid show and trying new jokes, I think is, it's like unfair on the audience almost. Unless you're already like just, you know, if you're doing comedy long enough, I'm not saying I have been, I haven't been, but I, I've talked to other comics that are, you know, they're better. And they, they know already if a joke's going to work or not without having tried it at the open mic. Because you have, um, I guess you just, you get a feel for where the punchline is. You know it in your head and you can riff it. It is quite funny because yeah, one a friend of mine who's a pro comic in the UK has been going for years. He says he's been going 15, 20 years and yeah, he can just bring in new material to a pay gig and it still go quite well. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, I think that's people. It's like, you know, it's, it's muscle memory of how you're doing things. You're just like, it's just, it's all, it's, it's like anything. You just get so good. You actually, you know what makes people laugh and you can dictate it on the spot. A lot of how them, a lot of, yeah, I think, well, you don't often see a lot of the big pro comics from the UK in the open mic. You don't see the top, often yeah. see the ones at the top of their game at the low gigs. You often don't. So, and I think there's a reason for it. I think they just, because they have so much stage time, they can, even yeah. if a joke doesn't work, they can somehow make the situation funny. That's it. Yeah. I mean, in Vancouver, in the lowest open mics, the... The, I guess the best comics in the city, they, they would be the professionals in the city, would always drop in and do it like a new five minutes. Because they knew they had an audience there. And they knew, I guess they just like, before they bring it to a bigger audience, they can make sure it works. Which I think is clever, but I mean, here, if, I mean, wherever, if, you're, if, you, if you've got enough paid work, or you're, you've got enough gigs, you know enough people, you can just bring it anywhere. And what you, go, I mean, you do is just sandwich it with your material, you know that's going to work for sure, and that's how you put a new thing in. Yeah, no, it's true. I mean, the thing about open mics is when you go to enough of them, you're going to... I mean, just the mentally ill are attracted to them, like a fucking magpie to silver. You know, if you're insane and there's an open mic, and you get to, like, talking to a microphone, you better believe they're going to be there. And um, I used to enjoy, you know, um, you know, doing a bit of people watching at the open mic because you will see some absolutely people that are out of their fucking minds. I guess I fucking 
used to enjoy that a little bit. But yeah, I mean, it for I mean, yeah, obviously, <laughs> if you're on the open mic for a couple of years, you become that guy. Like you're going, you're going to lose your fucking mind, you know. It's the thing is, to you've probably you've probably met one of them, right? In London, there's two, there's three people that are well known, or four people, for being open mic legends. So you got Joe Baines, you got um, Dangerous T. You got John Sharp, and then you got um, who else is another one? John Sharp, and you got Jimbo. Jimbo, <laughs> um, I know one of them. Yeah, I know one of them for sure. And um, yeah, I uh, to, I mean, it's hard. It's like it's what you it's what you want out of stand up. If you if you just if you are fucking if you want to just do something in the evenings that's not watching fucking TV. Just go to open mics, but like I, I mean, you have to have like some idea where what you want to do with your career, and that that requires getting better. And I reckon like open mics are better than doing nothing at all. And to yeah. be honest, ninety percent of people are on the doing nothing at all. Ninety nine percent, you know. So it's like it's there for people to at least learn how to. I mean, stand-up is just social engineering. You know what I mean? You're just saying the right thing at the right time to get a reaction out of a group of people. It's just better that you know what's funny and you know what's kind of... It's all very confusing. Honestly, I'm, 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 I've, I feel like I've probably regressed so much since the pandemic. I've lost my mind a few times. It's going to be interesting to see what the fuck I say and how I try and make it work, you know? So one of the things I want to ask of you, who has sort of like characters on the scenes you're in? Like, because I've told you in London, like you have those, they're the big ones. Like Jimbo's going for 20 years. John Sharp's like maybe 18 years. Joe Baines is somewhere in 12, 13 years. And Dangerous T, probably 20 something years. <laughs> Dangerous T is probably, out of all of them, my favourite. Jimbo and Dangerous T, I'm actually quite big fans of and they're quite funny. It's just that they didn't do anything career-wise. John Sharp and Joe Baines were good for them. <laughs> That's all I was I know. I know Joe. I've done um, Joe's gig. He's right. He, he he was running a pretty good gig. I mean, it was mostly comics, but it's mostly comics is better than nothing at all in a room. And mostly comics bring friends sometimes, or they bring a date, they bring a girlfriend. You know, until you know that person leaves them and never talks to them again which you know is always going to happen did you did you go through that stage because I, I went with the open mics like with the bringers and some of these other gigs i did bring a yeah. few people in but i don't want to bring them to this shit like, no, I've got... no no you've got to have a really really good friend i've got i've got one mate i got one mate in london he's i've like i've known him for years I, I lived in london like 10 years ago not doing comedy and i know this guy since He's met Leal to a degree, but he's also it's just someone who I understand really well. And he just comes and he knows exactly what he's in for. He just like they need to know what they're in for. And he he understands because through me, he understands how just comedy works and how these open mic works. Yeah, the bringer thing is awful, but I mean, you know, what can you do? If you want to perform, you gotta you gotta have a friend. I've seen people like I've seen ads not no, but like a few years ago, I've seen ads on Craigslist. Like people offering to pay money to get a bring. I'm like, this is fucking too much. Just, you know, do something else. I think it was like 15 pounds a gig. If you could come 
to watch me do stand up a few times a week, 15 pounds a gig, like 15 pounds. It's like, fucking hell. Don't do that. You know what I mean? Uh, paint, paint, jog, yeah. go to the gym, learn something different. Oh, 15 pounds. Yeah. But it's an expensive hobby, though, comedy. Very expensive hobby. Oh, yeah, yeah, it is. It really is. Yeah, I've spent, I've, from what I've made from comedy and what I've spent from comedy, um, I was like, I was getting paid for a little bit, maybe just prior to the pandemic back in Ireland. And I've spent thousands and I've made hundreds. And I mean, thousands and thousands and thousands. And maybe, you know, maybe, maybe altogether, what with Edinburgh and stuff, maybe I've made close to five grand in like five years, you know? Mm. It's not, you don't, you don't do it for the money. Well, not right now anyway. Unless you're a promoter. <laughs> Unless you're a promoter, yeah. If you're a promoter, then a, a promoter in the city, I feel like you can, if, if you're good at marketing and stuff, you can, you could, you don't need a job. You could put on enough gigs to pay yourself. It's just, I, I don't know about that. I don't know about that at all. Well, what's his face? Um, the, there's some good, um, really, like, the, I had someone on the podcast called, and I'm going to upload the episode in a, in a think this Wednesday. Jim Howarth, and he he um, runs Comedy Hotspot, and that's one of the fastest rising gigs in the UK. And he's quite big on the ethics on like comedians making sure they feel safe, making sure the venues behind them, and he makes sure that comedians get paid quite well. Yeah. And he um, yeah, he's very big on the ethics, and I think something about London. It would be interesting because I haven't gigged that much outside of London in other parts of the UK, but I do feel because London's effectively where a lot of the industry is, where people get famous. And it's a bit like LA and New York in which they prey on those that want to be famous rather than ones that want to be good at stand-up. Yeah, 100%. I mean, I've, yeah, I've just, the amount of like promoters or comedy club owners that I've met throughout the years that are just like, after the gig, they're going to tell you you're not getting paid. You know what I mean? Shit like that. There's, there's a lot of, yeah, there's not really any bodies with any of this, like with the payment. The amount of times I've seen lots of things about not getting paid with this and that. Like, um, there's a guy called, in The Apprentice, called Daniel Lasman or whatever. And he he had a, yeah, he, he runs a pub quiz company. And I ran some sort of shows for him. And he, um, I, he only paid me when I said that I threatened I was going to get a small court on him. Yeah. But he, he, he missed, what's it called, about £30 of it. But I thought, I'm not going to go to the small court, no. which costs £100, just to get an extra £30. But, no. you know, you get a lot of that. There's no sort of regulatory body. And then people still gig for people that don't pay them. And then there's, yeah, there's not, there's a lot more open mic gigs than there is paid gigs in London. Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, I like I was in just in back in Cork. I mean, I was there was a group of us from Cork. You know, we traveled around the country doing gigs, and some of us, like like not me, but some of my friends had figured out how to get paid and how to run their own shows and stuff. And it's just it's just something that you know you gotta. You gotta have some sort of you gotta gotta be business business savvy or something. I, I I travel like fucking you know I travel all day for a gig and then I end up out of money. Like isn't like I'm out of pocket and I just be like fuck. 
but it's just you know you got to run your own shit sometimes and i was just i've i at some point i, I want to like fucking run something like i may just maybe just start a show you know well, i do know a place that i could hook you up with but the thing is the guy scared me a bit he, he yeah. seemed like he was just full on drugs or something like it was in um just in Ladbrook Grove, just near, there's a station there, and uh, I'll have to send you the link for it. But do, I do. went to went to the bar, and he just seemed hooked on something. Like straight away, he he seemed high. The place is all over the place, really ruggedy, and like there's there's such a diverse range of people. Some of them are all right, some of them are completely fucked up. And like when I looked at the function room, it looked like some kid's living room. <laughs> No, that sounds appealing to me. That, that that might be something I'm interested in because, you know, you could, you'll do something there. I mean, those clientele are like, you know, if they're people who don't want to be at a comedy show, sometimes they're the people you need to fucking do comedy to because if you can get a joke past them, then you've got a good joke. You know what I mean? It's a mental place. So, I mean, if you want to go there... They I'll go... check it out. I'll check it out for sure. You know what I mean? <laughs> I, that's... <laughs> But yeah, he, he does. He, the owner's Greek. Just some heads up. Uh, there's some celebrities in there that go there apparently. But yeah, he does appear a bit dodgy, and he does appear like a bit of a money grabber. I mean, I mean, he's not going to get any money off me. I'll I'll promise him money. He'll and you know we'll see. You'll run. Uh, <laughs> I he, he he can try and scam me. I'm going to do the double cross. You know what I mean? We'll see what happens. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I know some dodgy people. It's grand. You know what I mean. I know how to deal. I don't know how to talk to dodgy people. You just. You, oh, okay. You, you can just, give us some advice. Give us a scenario you've had where you've spoken to some guy that goes, "Listen here, Sonny Jim. If you don't give me fifty quid, you're not going to be counting the fingers you ain't got." Just be always super friendly and polite, and then put them at ease, like they are robbing you, and then you just disappear really quick. Boom, like that. Always know your exit. You know, which is all. <laughs> I see people who get like, uh, I've like you know, they get their phone mugged. I get your phone gets grabbed out of your hand. I get it, but when someone's like trying to you know trick you into get like just just walk away, what are they gonna do in, the, in public? What are they gonna do to grab at you? That gives you that gives you license to strike back. Yeah, yeah, you know what? That is the best advice, and I did that unintentionally because someone you right near where where the last gig is like a, like a week prior to that someone tried to rob my phone yeah so i was walking on the side roads along there right and i wanted to get a haircut so i was looking around trying to find a hairdresser's local to the area and i was looking around like this then all of a sudden this this guy on a bike with dreadlocks and a hoodie comes around sits in the bike in my way says yo uh, what are you doing taking pictures or whatever and i said give me your phone and i said uh, no, I, I'm just trying to get a haircut. And then, I don't know, part of me, I wasn't fully aware of what was going on at the time because I was trying to focus on getting a haircut. And it was yeah. my way. And I was thinking, well, he's in the way. But then I started to see what was going on. Part of me was angry. And then part of me was a bit, what's it called? Whatever. Like a bit bit, bit nervous. And I, course, he said yeah. that. And he, and he tried to sort of grit his teeth and go... What's it called? Uh, He's snarling. Give me your phone. And then I just said no. And then I just sort of. I, so he was over in the other way. So I turned around, walked around, and I I saw someone was there. 
so i thought i walked towards them yeah. i thought at least at least whatever happens someone sees it and then it was actually someone in the, in the grove as well so i thought at least if something happens there's two versus one yeah yeah no people and, need people need your attention to uh mug you to a certain degree i mean they can snatch something out of your hand but to actually mug you you know in a confrontational way they need you to be listening and if you just not if you just don't listen it's going to be very hard for them to fucking what are they going to do manhandle you in the street it does happen but it's the fucking public street yeah it's less likely to happen because yeah, they yeah. don't want to get caught they'll, they'll just pick another victim that's fucking you know more docile and fucking going to like go along with whatever but i mean you know i could probably get mugged tomorrow after this you know what i mean <laughs> sorry man <laughs> you know how it works but i think yeah they, they want you either to get angry and to fight with them and then yeah. they do something or for you to go yeah. and give them what they want but the best thing is to just feign complete indifference and uninterest and yeah like they're like yeah we'll find someone the street's full of victims you know so they're just gonna it they, they no one's gonna spend too much time on you they're gonna move on to the next one well the funny thing is you've seen those youtube adverts where someone says do you want to fight and then he strips and he scares them off yeah, i idea. think that could work as well if you if you put them off if you because anything to put them off that sort of frame where they you be scared and they take your money if, if you yeah even if you acted like you were gay or something and you went to them like oh hello hello that might put them off yeah well they they want they when someone's trying to steal something it needs to be quick if it's in public and anything that draws any attention from the public is not good you know for for the for the person who's committing the crime so yeah i mean get your penis out whatever i mean <laughs> You could be the one ending up in jail, but you still have your phone, you know? That's true. That's 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 more expensive than me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh. But you, you sound like you've got experience, Mark. What have you been doing? <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, no, uh, let's not talk. Why, why have I travelled the country so much? <laughs> uh. No, I, I think Irish people just travel, and it? It's kind of a... I mean, you're, you're, you're McCarthy, you're half Irish, I'm guessing. I'm quarter Irish and quarter, quarter English Irish. and half Chinese. So you're a mix of everything. Yeah. Have you, where's McCarthy? Is that from Southern? It's like, it might be from Cork or I'm from, isn't it? Yeah, I've heard that it's from Cork, but I don't really know. I think it is. Where I'm from, there's a lot of people, uh, like a fucking percentage of the population are called McCarthy. To be honest, I'd be a bit worried about getting with a woman from Ireland because I might be related to <laughs> Oh, it's a small population. You're better off playing the game in China because you're not going to get a relation amongst uh, two billion. You know what I mean? <laughs> less likely, yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, less likely. Yeah, no, I think there's been like up until uh, we evolved to the point that we can travel a lot. I think Ireland's probably inbred to fucking death. Before England came, what else were we doing? We were probably like fucking our cousins, you know. I mean, they, that's all I can imagine. <laughs> that's that's a good image, I suppose. <laughs> I mean, I, 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 it's just like I mean, at one point there was eight million people prior to the to famine, but I mean, the population of Ireland now was I think it's like fucking three point five million in the Republic and one point five two million in the North. So I mean, it's a tiny country. Well, there's quite a lot. The, the Brits did some weird thing in Northern Ireland. They definitely put Scottish people in Northern Ireland so that it would some yeah. sort of political thing, is it? 
Um, it was to offset the population between Protestant and Catholic. Yeah. Yeah, it's like it's the, you you reward um, you reward loyal. Uh, well, I don't know what you call it, loyals, not serfs, but like who's loyal to the crown was always rewarded. is isn't not just in Ireland, but everywhere is re- rewarded with plantations in the empire. Hence, well, how the UK could, you know, um, control so much of, you know, the earth, essentially. Plantations spread out and controlled and then worked mm. by the serfs. Yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting and I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't like to be English these days. I feel like the culture, <laughs> in the in the culture, in the in Western culture, it looks like um, you know, people uh people are starting to really remember the past. I'm glad I'm Irish because it's almost there's a there's a guilt freeness, you know. Oh shit! Yeah, that's yeah. true. There, I just just lie, whichever. Yeah, it's exactly. A like, exactly. It's a bit like my mum. When when there's a situation that represents um. So she's basically, she's from China, but she immigrated to Thailand. And whichever situation makes the other one look better, she says she's that. So if there's something good about China, she says, yeah, I'm Chinese. If there's something good about Thailand, she says, I'm Thai. That's a, that's a very good thing to have, I think. If you can, depending who you run into and what's going on, it's best to, like, uh, whatever heritage is to your advantage at that time, I think you use that. Yes. You know what I mean? <laughs> Well, yeah, so maybe also if, if, if someone tries to mug me, just speak Chinese. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, you don't, you don't want to be, if you're, in the, if you're in the Middle East in the wrong place, you don't want to be caught with a certain passport. You know, you'll get your head cut off. So it's yeah. always good to, you know, have a few passports. Do you, have, do you have an Irish passport? No, I've got a Thai passport. <laughs> there you go. That's, you know, you, you, you could use that. That's true. I mean, obviously not not in Burma or anything, but other places. Yeah, yeah, of course. But a lot of them come over to the Thailand. Yeah, the Burmese. Yeah, yeah. And I've, been to, like... I've been to Thailand a few times. Well, there's an interesting story actually that um, Burmese boxing is a founder of a lot of the like maybe Muay Thai and other things because Burma used to own those countries, and Burmese, uh, what's it called? What's it called again? Muay. Myanmar. Yeah, Myanmar. It's Myanmar. It was Burma or was it the other yeah. way around? So no, it it's was, Myanmar. It was. Yeah. I've never been. I, 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 it's meant to be beautiful. Oh, yeah. I think they all are, but it, wouldn't, you wouldn't want to go now. <laughs> no, they've had an uprising in the last few months. Some countries just don't make the, the, the news. It's really about when it's Western media, it's like it's it's who. It's almost like you know, it's it's like fa- what what's fashionable right now, and it's it's rarely whatever uprising is going on in Southeast Asia. It doesn't really it doesn't really cut it. It's more like what's closer to home or the Middle East. The, yeah, that's what it's, it's called. Left way. That's what it's called. Left way, and they use headbutts. Yeah, they use headbutts as well, and elbows and knees. Yeah. So it's probably just. Thai boxing, and then I guess when it migrated to Thailand, they decided that the headbutt was a bit too aggressive. Yeah, because they they used it to try and appeal to tourists or whatever. And also, I think those martial arts watered down to what they used to be, because they used to kill people with them. But they thought they still kill people now of it. But like they wanted to create more of a spectator sport. And I mean, it's like with Muay Thai boxing, and you know, when you think of it, it's people getting beaten up, but actually, it's, it supports the livelihoods of a lot of poor people. 
Yeah, oh, for sure. In the tourist areas, it's like every night they put on shows. I remember being there and it's like, um, it's just like a big industry there that they put on these shows and they get the audience in. And I mean, it's, it's all like cheap alcohol and very interesting. I mean, some of these little toy guys were in the... The shape they're in is outrageous. You would not get like people with like less. I mean, the percentage of body fat must be like five percent. Yeah, it's ridiculous. Like they and they do like in boxing. I think it's a lot if you have a hundred fights, but they yeah. you're getting sixteen years with four hundred fights, or you're getting yeah they they fight a lot more than boxers or other mar- fighters do by miles. Oh no, it's and I mean the way they. The way they train themselves, they kick trees, isn't it? I don't, like. I mean, uh, Muay Thai boxing has like emigrated like worldwide. I have friends who I had a friend who was pro for a while, but they have to go to Thailand. Anyone who's not Thai, they like really. If you want to compete and be the best at whatever, like you know, in Europe or America, they have to spend some time in Thailand because otherwise, I just that's probably where the best you know fighters are for that certain sport. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's, I mean, I, I think self-defense is important, though. For, I think everyone should, should do some sort of self-defense at some point properly. Right? Yeah, 100%. Yeah, I, you think no one wants to get attacked, you know, and you don't want to look vulnerable. Um, I boxed for years, just like Western boxing. It's not, it's not the, it's not the best um, technique if you want to, like, just defend yourself because, it's grand if you're gonna if you're just gonna like fist fight someone, but as soon as someone grabs you, you don't know what to do. You know what I mean? You could just get folded yeah. over, you know. So I mean, you you you've probably been in a few scuffles. You mentioned a few stories, then I'm a bit like, oh shit, I got a worry now. <laughs> um, yeah, no, in my yeah, years ago, I think the last time was like when I was uh, 26. Uh, I came back from Canada and I was like uh, drinking in the local pub, and I went out for a cigarette and I just got beaten up just absolutely assaulted by like these two 40 year old alcoholics that I knew like they were like like not not neighbors but the people they knew and I, I it was all it was over a girl that was had nothing to do it's just I was talking to the wrong girl um but it was so embarrassing as uh, a man in his prime getting jumped by these bust up old alcoholics you know what I mean they were like shitty looking but when someone hits you from behind you know that's it you know, you can't do much. <laughs> no, and what was funny about that night is, um, okay, like, you know, there was a huge scuffle. I didn't, my, my, my friends that were there that night did not really do anything. I guess they just weren't there at the time. It was like an ex-girlfriend that, who was like four foot something was the only person trying to, like, defend me. But uh, I, was so, I was so angry, you know. I was, like, pissed off. I was like, oh, I've been wronged. I've been so wronged. And then, like, we vacated, you know, that bar. We went into the city to drink more, me and my friends, you know, and I was just so, so angry all night. Like, I was, like, you know, pissed up, just vinegar, bitter. Just, ah, I fucking, oh, someone's going to have to pay for this. My manhood's been insulted. And um, I was trying to get one of the guys, one of these 40 year olds number, you know, off, off a friend. I was like, give me his number and I'm going to organize a fucking fist fight outside Super Value, you know, outside, outside a shopping center on a Sunday, you know, after mass or whatever. 
fucking something crazy like that. And um, what happened was I was so I was so I was, I was so drunk and angry that I got into a, another fight in the street. <laughs> and and the fight in the street was um this, this guy because I had a black guy you know from this assault previous. So I have a black guy. I look shitty, and some guy goes. Do you want another black guy? And I was like, fuck you, come on. So, and like, I put up my hands to uh, <laughs> the fight. And he, oh man, it was, it was very impressive. He took one look at me. He, he kind of stepped towards me and he did like a spinning back kick. And he landed it right in my eye, man. It was, must have looked so beautiful. I went straight down. And there was, he was surrounded by like his, his peer group. And I remember a lot of girls laughing. I remember my friends were there and I got up and I was like, let's go home. <laughs> <laughs> I look I look like shit in the morning. I was wearing it this is December and I had to wear sunglasses to like one of my best friends' weddings. I look like a scumbag. But it was a good lesson. <laughs> and tell me I need to hit you need to put this on stage. There's there's so much there. Oh uh, no! I got so I just got so I got so beat up that <laughs> night. It's like one night where I just took such, and I haven't I haven't been in a physical altercation since. And you know what? Maybe I was acting too much, too cocky in the original bar or something. I don't know. I was probably coked up and drunk. You know what I mean? I was just being arrogant. I probably deserved it. Yeah. But um, it, I I I, I laugh thinking about it because I remember like having to having to go to a wedding and they're like, you know, it's December. Why are you wearing sunglasses? Then you flick them down and they're like, oh my god. <laughs> you know, my, I just had two black eyes. I look like shit. I think I learned something. I mean, I, 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 you know, I think you, I think you learned something about just fucking. Maybe people are getting pissed off around you, and you don't know about it. Sometimes, you know. It's... So it, it, it probably, it probably took me down a peg or two, maybe, which <laughs> I probably needed. You know, could have been worse. <laughs> yeah, and then I was saying, like trying to do like stand up. With like you know, you get a great opener if you look like fucking bust up with black eyes. You know, you are you are always gonna have to address that. <laughs> so I remember like I like I had some jokes written about it, and then suddenly it heals, and those jokes are useless now. You know, <laughs> and they were my openers for like you know a month or two. How long was this black eye? A month, a month for sure. Yeah, that was good. Yeah, it could work for the gong show. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> oh, maybe I should give myself a black eye. Maybe I should go and look for a black eye. Hey. <laughs> so it's been good to chat to you mark and you've given a lot of amazing stories <laughs> great. but one of the things i want to ask about is like what of what sort of biggest lessons do you have to give about life um who are your heroes and how do how do people what what has stand-up given you Oof. um Okay, what has stand-up given me? I don't know. Stand-up stand -up has maybe taken from me as well as give to me to a certain degree. No, I guess it's... With stand-up, what it is, is I guess you just have friends everywhere. Like, you've got friends... Like, as in, even, even if you're just doing stand-up in London, you probably have friends in all over the world that were here for a while. You know, that's how it is. It is a community. Albeit a very toxic community at times. I guess that's what stand-up gives you. It gives you friends. And it gives you, it, it, I mean, it's something to do at night. What, the, what else are you going to do after work? I don't know. I don't know what to do after work. It's been like, this year has been so confusing to, I, like, I got into yoga and meditation because I was losing my fucking mind. 
you know? Because stand-up is kind of something you just, whether you're even progressing or not, you're doing it. I'll say one thing that I'd like to add. The, the, what's it called? When people talk about therapy and all these things, I think one thing, whenever I'm in a funny mood, I just listen to a video on YouTube, some affirmations, hypnosis thing, boom, and then it's all sorted. Yeah, no, it's true. It's true. You've got like, I mean, when you're doing stand up a lot, you're going to a lot of shows. Chances are you're watching a lot of stand up and laughing a lot, and that is always fun. That's always good. That's always in a good and bad way. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, of course. But what, um, what, who, who, what, what? experiences shape you the most standard boys no just in, in life yeah let's let's do stand-up what's what shaped you most in stand-up doing badly <laughs> Do, doing badly in a doing badly in a, you know the, there's gigs where it's it's easier not to do bad you know in a packed room sometimes sometimes when you're just not you're not when you're not good that's humbling you know it's awful hmm. it's, it's the worst but it's good it's good that you feel that bad about something because then you fucking have to you know you have to take a look at yourself yeah it's probably it's probably bad for your mental health bombing but I mean I, I do feel as people we should we should struggle sometimes it can't all be it can't all be easy no, it's got to be. You got to have the good points and the bad points. Yeah, what what um, what's what's the good without the bad? It doesn't. Like, you know, it's uh, life only kind of exists in the comparisons. You know what I mean? There's there's no otherwise. It's it, it doesn't exist. A good doesn't like a good set doesn't exist without you have it, having experienced the bad ones first. I think. Okay. And what for, for anyone that's listening to the podcast? How do they get a hold of you? And where do they find about you, Mark? Uh, maybe maybe at my show in Labrock Grove, eh? Yeah. Uh, I, I'm on Facebook and on Instagram. Uh, it's, it's social media. I don't, I don't, I don't like it, but you got, I guess that's... If you do stand-up, you got you to gotta do social media. So I'm on Facebook and, and Instagram as my name. I don't do Twitter. I just never... I never started doing it. What I used to, I, I used to try and write jokes on Facebook. That's all I'd use it for is just jokes. I don't I'm I don't I don't care about politics. Or at least not publicly, I don't care about politics. I'm not an activist. Okay. Just so uh, Facebook and I try and write jokes. A lot of them they, they, I used to be good at it. A lot of them haven't been going over recently. <laughs> <laughs> not at all. <laughs> but it'll return, you know, return of the Jedi. Exactly, yeah. I mean, you know, the you just Pits and troughs, like you know, you you gotta you gotta just figure it out. Well, it's like, look, it, we, we, we've 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 had some fun. We've had a good chat. I've enjoyed this. It's been great. And let me know what you think of the episode when I send it out.